Right, Paula? Uh, she passed away just a couple of years ago this past spring. Um, but uh, he's having surgery on tomorrow, open heart surgery. I spoke with him on Friday. It's a triple bypass. Alan loves Jesus. And, but uh, I got to thinking about that, just put myself in his place. Uh, can you have the peace of God and still be concerned? I think you could. I thought, well, I could know where you're going and, and still say, well, I, I hope this turns, turns out well. And either way, you win. But, uh, of course, they do that surgery uh, many, many times. I'm going to call him uh, this evening again, and we prayed together on the phone. But would you pray for him as he, as he goes through this? I sure do wish you would. In fact, let's do that now. Would you pray with me and for him? Our Heavenly Father, we lift our, our brother up to you and his family. I pray for the surgeons and those that assist the surgeon. Uh, tomorrow as he goes through this uh, very serious procedure, um, Father, he had no, no symptoms, uh, nothing that would uh, belie concern, but uh, he has to have this operation and uh, thank you for medicine. Thank you for good doctors. And we lift him up to you. And I pray that it will be successful. I pray that you would ease his mind and uh, his family. I pray that your, your peace would just surround his heart and mind. And uh, give him many, many more years to serve you. And we believe this and claim it in Jesus' name. Amen. So please, please pray for him, if you would. Uh, John chapter 19. We'll look there in, in just a moment. Um, I love to read. I love to read biographies. Uh, this past week, I began to read a, a biography about Daniel Boone. And uh, it's about where, he, obviously, where he was born, up in Pennsylvania. And then he began to... Uh, get right with God he began to move south and uh, he's coming down the Blue Ridge Mountains and he's 19 years old and he's in uh, by the Yadkin Y-A-D-K-I-N River in Yadkin North Carolina anybody been in Yadkin North Carolina have you been there yeah I've never been there heard of it well, I keep my phone. One of the things I love about the Internet, if you're curious, you learn more. And so while Paula's sleeping, I'm learning. I'm just having fun. Uh, I do a lot of reading while she sleeps at night. So I, I opened my phone up, and I found out that that looked at where it was on Google Earth. And it's right beside Banner Elk, North Carolina, just real close to it. And then I thought, my goodness. And then I, I scooted the map over and then really did a close-up on the campus of Lee's McCray College. Lee's McCray College in 1975, uh, on July the 29th, on Tuesday night, July the 29th, 1975, I yielded my life uh, fully to the Lord. And I, I'm the kind of guy that doesn't just have a thought, but I, I pursue that thought. Not just in a in a facts way, but in an emotional way, and I just think about it. 
And I've been thinking about it since I discovered that about uh, where Boone lived for those years. And if you come back next week, I'll tell you some more about Daniel Boone. But uh, I began to to think about uh, the auditorium. I was looking at there on Google Earth and remember how steep it was going up there and where I was sitting and, uh, and that Tuesday night when I, when I went forward and I had a black Schofield Bible that I took on to Bible college with me and it's, I don't use it anymore because it's just literally falling apart. And uh, I went forward that night. I was one of the first people down there, not that that's really important or it made me special, but that's how heavy upon my heart it was. And as the pastor was... Uh, was right here, the camp pastor. Uh, I was was right here in that college auditorium with about uh, almost 800 teenagers and workers and uh, was literally on my face before the Lord and just wept and wept and wept um, with that Bible. It's a funny thing because when I see it and it's in our living room on a bookshelf we have there and sometimes I pick it up and I just look at the leather cover of that and remember those, those, those tears that I wept my way back to God. Almost didn't go. I remember um, to camp in the spring. In fact, it was this time of year in 1975, the the man that ran the camp was at our church, and he had uh, said, "Are you coming? Are you going to come to camp?" And I said, "Well, I don't know. I, that's our first week of football practice, and I, I don't know that I'll I'll be able to be there." I, he, he said, "Well, if you'll come, if you'll come, I'll, I'll run with you." Because I told him, I said, "I that we're not running plays, but they're, they're trying to get us in shape." He said, "Well, if you tell your coach you'll run, I'll run with you." It's an important thing as a leader that you, you lay your life on the line with people. You talk to them. You invest yourself in people. You don't just invite people. You do whatever it takes. And I went that week, and, um, and God changed my life. The most meaningful life transformative experiences I've ever had have been with Jesus in that case, it was not in a church. It was in a, a gathering of Christians. But it was in a secular college auditorium on a secular campus. And the message really wasn't about um, other Bible topics. It was about Jesus and how much he loved us and how much he did for us. And I remember sitting there thinking, you know, I'm a... I'm a good kid, comparatively speaking. I don't cuss, and I go to church all the time. And I'm good, but I'm good for nothing. I just really am not making an impact for the kingdom of God. And I, uh, I care about the Lord. You know, I'm saved, but I, I don't love Him. Well, I love Him. And as a 17-year-old boy, young man, God broke my heart. And it was there that night at the cross 
not before preacher, not in a church. And there was a gathering of people there, and it wasn't just a sermon, but it was at the cross where my heart was exposed, but my heart was healed. It was there that I once again learned, I knew, but I learned again of His forgiveness and His love for me. And it was there that I surrendered my life to Him. You know what? I've done that over and over and over and over again. And as a preacher, I I want to be a good preacher and I want to be a good pastor. One of the things that I've come to learn is sometimes that that, that preachers and parents, too, uh, we're real good about scolding people. But we're not real good about helping people sometimes. And it goes something like this, and I'll give kind of the subject we're talking about today as an example. And, and we lead people with, with cheap guilt. I'll use that expression. In other words, we, we make people feel guilty, but we don't help them. We don't give them a, a door, a pathway to, to alleviate that or to, to repair it, to fix it. And it goes something like this. Um, preacher, pastor will will get up and he'll say something like this. You don't love God. You don't love Jesus. And boy, he'll bear down on that. And, you know, we'll sit there and listen to him. We'll say, boy, I don't love Jesus. I need to love Jesus. And and what we don't understand is while we're thinking subconsciously, and maybe consciously we're thinking, but I want to, how do I do it? And I think it's a pastor's responsibility to to not just tell people what the problem is, but to give them the medicine. I heard about a, a artist, I don't know his name, but it helped me in my preaching. The artist said that he was correcting someone that painted a beautiful painting of the woods. And he told the artist, uh, the student said, that's a beautiful painting. But he said, may I make a suggestion? Whenever you, you give a painting of the woods, I'll always... Put a path leading out of the woods. And that's always guided my, my preaching. If you're going to press the problem and you're going to, and, and you need to, you must address the problem. But always give the path out of the problem, which is the gospel, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want to, we want to identify that in John here. I want you to write down two things at the outset of the message and I've mentioned these before, but I want you to write these two sentences down so you can have them because we're going to finish this part of the message up tonight and next Sunday's Mother's Day. And I'm going to preach from this passage next week on Mother's Day. Let me get some water. I'm losing my voice here. Write this down. Number one, our proximity to the cross reveals God's heart to us. Our proximity to the cross reveals God's heart to us. If you're not close to the cross, you'll never see God's heart. The Bible says we love him because he first loved us. You'll never love Jesus if you don't see how he loved you. That's the solution to loving Jesus, see how much he loved you. Our proximity to the cross reveals God's heart to us. It's a powerful principle. You'll see that. Today, as we finish this up, number two, 
As you draw close to the cross, you discover the nature of your own heart. That's kind of two sides. As you draw close to the cross, not only do you see God's heart, but you see your heart. And that's the power of the gospel. That's the power of Jesus and the power of the cross. Not just the power of Bible knowledge. Not just the power of hearing a sermon. But to think about Jesus and and who he is and what he is, is done for you. You know, in heaven we will worship him as the Lamb of God. You see him on the throne, enthroned as the, as the Lamb of God, as the one who suffered and died for us. In John chapter 19, I want you to begin with me in verse 16. John 19 and verse 16. Then delivered he, this is Christ, he, Jesus, therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha. And I've taught you that's what Calvary means too. The word Calvary means skull. Verse 18, where they crucified him and two other with him on either side, one and Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross in the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. The title then, well, this captured my attention. I'm not going to read, I'm not going to speak on it, but this captured me this week. This title then read many of the Jews. It's like a gospel track. This title then read many of the Jews. For the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city, and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. It said the chief priests of the Jews to Pilate, write not the king of the Jews, but he said, but that he said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified him, took his garments, made four parts to every soldier apart, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam woven from the top throughout. He said, therefore, among themselves, let us not rent it or tear it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, they parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. Now, this is in Psalm 22 and verse 18. That's where that verse is fulfilled. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. Now, pay attention to these verses. This is where we'll speak from. Now, there stood by the cross... Well, that line just grabs me. Underline that. There stood by the cross. That's my heart. I want to stand by the cross in my heart, in my mind. That song, Jesus, keep me near the cross. That its shadow, its shadow may be over me, that I don't get away from it. Now, there stood by the cross. Now, there's four people here that are mentioned and. Three ladies, one man, and all three of the women are named Mary. They're stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, of course her name is Mary, and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, that's John, who is a human author of this gospel, the gospel of John, the disciples standing by whom he loved, 
he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, from that time, from that moment, that disciple took her, Mary, the mother of Jesus, unto his own home. And I want to talk to you for a few minutes, and I've talked about the first two, but the audience, the audience of the cross. Jesus' mother Mary was there, and the lesson that we derive from her is that as Mary stood near the cross, she learned that the greatest privilege of her life brought her the greatest sorrow. The greatest privilege was raising the Son of God, but it also brought her the greatest sorrow as she stood there and watched Him be butchered and crucified. You know, as you... As you come near the cross, it changes your perspectives. You can be a Bible student and not change you. Now, the devil knows the Bible on an intellectual level, but it doesn't change him. But you cannot know Jesus and you cannot be near his cross and not be changed. And as Mary got near the cross, she was changed. It it affected her and she learned some things that she would not have learned had she not been near the cross. And the will of God always includes a cross for you. That's God's will for you, but it is a cross. You see, the very trial you're going through, the very suffering you're going through is a part of the will of God. And some of you are going to get out of God's will for your life because of pain. Paul prayed three times in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that God would relieve him of pain, of literal pain. And God said, no, no, that's not, I'm not going to do that. That's my plan for you. Now, from a human perspective, we say, I don't like that. But Paul learned some things about himself because of the proximity of the cross. He learned of his arrogance and his independence. But he also learned some things about Jesus, about his power and his enablement, and how precious Jesus was. Mary learned that the greatest privilege of her life also was the greatest sorrow. Then Jesus' aunt was there, Mary's sister, his mother's sister. And we looked at this last week, and remember Jesus' cousins, James and John. Of course, this is John. Um, not speaking here, uh, uh, right here, but who, who was there? She was representing James and John, and they were saying, we want you to give these boys the prime seats in the kingdom, one on the left and one on the right. And uh, so Jesus said, that's, that's not mine to give. Are, are you able to bear the cup and to... Be baptized. And they all three said, Mama and the two boys said, Oh, we're able. And Jesus said, You will bear that cup. And now she's standing before, listen to this. She was interested in, in the kingdom, watch this, with her mindset. Because she, she had a way of thinking about what the kingdom is going to be like, but it was very selfish. It was full of ambition. But when you get near the cross, your ambition dies. But now, watch this. Now she's standing before the cross and she's she's looking at her nephew, 
the king and her perspective of the kingdom changes. And here's what Jesus' aunt discovered, that God's kingdom isn't about seeking places, high places of leadership and authority and wanting to be in charge. In fact, Jesus told him in Matthew 20, that's the way the world thinks. But rather low places of humility and service. Sometimes low places are, are places that are quiet, places that are obscure. You know where she learned that? She learned that at the cross. Be careful about your ambition. Be careful about it. You never lose when you're a servant. God promotes servants. God couldn't use Joseph because of his ambition. And it took him 13 years to knock the ambition out of him until he learned to be a servant. God couldn't use Moses because of his ambition. It took him 80 years to knock the ambition out of him. Until he finally decided, well, I'm not ever going to be used. Until he learned how to be a servant. Warren Wiersbe said, God is not looking for celebrities. He's looking for servants. So much more there. And then there's someone else there at the foot of the cross. Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene is one of the most uh, well-known people in the Bible. But one of the most inaccurately cast people in the Bible. And we really only know two things about her. The Bible says in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, it came to pass afterward that Jesus went throughout every city and village preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve, the twelve disciples were with him. And certain women, and he lists the women in verse 3. And certain women which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. When I was preparing this uh, weeks ago, the word healed there, uh, if I put the word up here in the Greek language, it's the word therapy. And uh, it means to, to relieve and to cure. Because she was tortured from these demonic spirits. And she had been healed of evil spirits And infirmities. The word infirmity there means to be weak in body and soul. So these demonic spirits, and perhaps these ladies, and I'm not for purpose of time, I'm not going to go into them, and there's no need to in verse 3 in Luke 8. But these spirits had tortured her body and her soul. Now, I remember when I was a little boy, I thought Mary Magdalene, that was her name, like Rick Johnson and Daniel Smith. Tim, Tim kind of messed it up. You know, we had Johnson, Smith, and that Jones. If it had been Jones, that would have worked. But we had to get a Coley to kind of balance it out. Did you notice how he was flirting with a volunteer today about being beautiful and everything? Those of you who may not know, that was his wife. I just want to clarify that. All righty. But I remember when I grew up, I thought, well, that was like her last name, you know, Mary Magdalene. But that's not her last name. That's not her surname. She was from a place called Magdala. If you were to look at the Sea of Galilee, which is kind of shaped like a harp, 
it's up on the north northern side, the north uh, west side of Galilee, not far from Capernaum, where Jesus' headquarters were. I remember when I was in Israel in 1998, I think it was, and we were there. And our God said, this is where Magdala was. They've uncovered a whole section there. You can go look at it and see where it was. But apparently there was a lot of demonic activity in that area. And the only thing we know about Mary Magdalene is this, two things. Number one, she was from that area, Magdala, and she was possessed with seven devils. That's it, period. Let me dispel the one thing, the most common thing that's supposed about Mary Magdalene is that she was a prostitute. Some of you, if I would ask this morning, say, well, who is Mary Magdalene? You say, well, she was an immoral woman. Well, she may have done some immoral things, but that, that is never stated in the Bible, ever. But she was possessed by seven evil, wicked spirits. Now, when a person is demon-possessed, they have to give permission for an evil spirit. And it's a very gradual thing. Begin to give ground to something like that. No one is possessed. Accidentally, no one is possessed until there is a permission or a seeking of that. Much of that that happens today is for power. Some of those expressions are insanity. Talk about the maniac of Gadara. Again, that's around the Sea of Galilee. I remember when we were there and we were driving around and our guide said, now this is Gadara. Well, the maniac of Gadara, I was really interested in that. And again, there's, there's not much over there because of time. And he was just a wild man. He had great strength, physical infirmities, blindness, muteness, deafness, seizures, sometimes other physical problems. And the enemy can come in and cause these things. But the primary issue or the primary characteristic of a person that's oppressed by Satan is that they're in bondage and they're in torture and they cannot get relief from this. Now I want to come back to this in Luke chapter 8 and verse 2 that Mary Magdalene was possessed by seven evil spirits. Seven. And she was tortured day and night. Maybe it started by, and I say maybe because I don't know, but maybe it was she was bitter at someone. She got hurt with someone. You read in Second Corinthians, and, and when you become bitter towards people, you give ground to the enemy. Bitterness turns to hatred and, and so forth. And she began to yield to those things, and she became tortured. But at some point, she met the Lord Jesus Christ, and he delivered her, and her life was transformed. Her future was transformed, and she became a, a close, not just an ally, and not just a close servant and a disciple, but a close friend to Jesus. And uh, when you read Gospel of Luke chapter 8, these ladies, they, they traveled some with the disciples, and they were ladies of means. They had money, Luke 8, 3, and they helped Jesus with their substance. They provided love offerings and helped them. That's what the Bible teaches there. Now, in a sense, stay with me, 
in a sense, all of us are like Mary Magdalene in that we have had a a conversion experience. You may not have been possessed by demons, but you were a part of the kingdom of darkness. Ephesians chapter 2 and other places. When Jesus gave a commission to the Apostle Paul about his ministry, here's what he said. In Acts chapter 26 and verse 18, he said, Paul, your commission is to open their eyes. He's talking about lost people. Watch this. To open their eyes and to turn them. Now, the word turn there is also translated in the Bible, converted. It's a 180 degree turn, but I want you to watch this. It's not just a conversion of the life, it's conversion of the soul. Before there is a conversion of the behavior, there's a conversion of the mind and of the heart. If you have the conversion of the life with that conversion of the soul, then all you have is reformation. That's not conversion. And when Jesus comes into your life, when your eyes are open, when the scales fall, you begin to turn, watch this, from darkness to light. You know, a, a, a Christian is uncomfortable with the things of darkness, with the things of the world. They're attracted to things of light. They love light. I know that uh, this is off a little bit, but not much. I like an auditorium that has light in it. I like places that meet where, you know, some of the popular ways of doing church now is you turn all the lights out. And it's like a concert venue. I want to say, hey, I want the people to see the Bible. But there's a subliminal issue with it. There's light. I like light. And it's not just a personal issue. There's a symbolic issue there. To turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God. I am not serving Satan anymore. I'm serving God. That they may receive forgiveness of sins. The guilt is removed. I'm not motivated by guilt anymore. My spirit is free. Look at this. Not only receive forgiveness, but an inheritance. I'm not a spiritual orphan anymore. He has adopted me. I can cry, Abba, Father, which is an Aramaic term, which there's a range of words that include that everything from a, from crying like a little baby that's learned to talk to say daddy or papa where this is my this is my father there's there's a degree a high degree of intimacy there there's a fellowship there but i have a, a heavenly inheritance this is not about stuff this is about a relationship among them which are sanctified by faith and when when mary got saved all of these things happened to her she was converted from darkness to light, from guilt to forgiveness, from being a spiritual orphan to a heavenly inheritance. And God changed her in those seven wicked spirits that had kept her in bondage and tormented her. They left her. And I say all that to say this. I've spent some time on Mary here because of this. Because typically when we think about Mary Magdalene, we think, well, I can't identify with her. Oh, yes, you can. Because we are Mary Magdalene. We are her.
You may not be possessed by the devil. You may not have an evil spirit, but when you have sin in you, and you have Satan as your father, and you've lived in darkness and you've been driven by guilt, when Jesus comes in and he transforms your life and he converts you and he turns you from those kingdoms to God's kingdom, you know what it does to you? It not only transforms you, it gives you a spirit of gratitude. And she followed Jesus wherever he was. Do you know who the first person to see Jesus was when he was raised from the dead? It wasn't Peter. It wasn't John. I don't want you to turn there. You can write it down and look at it later. It was Mary Magdalene. She went to the tomb and and she met Jesus. And Jesus said, I want you to go tell everybody that I'm alive. It was Mary Magdalene. Now, why did Jesus call for her? No, she just showed up because of her affection. In fact, in Mark chapter 16 and verse 9, the Bible says, When Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. And it's repeated for us there again. Listen, she never lost her appreciation for what Jesus had done for her. You know what she did? For all of her life, she stayed near the cross. And so it wasn't a big deal for her to literally be at the cross viewing the cost being paid for her redemption. And I think sometimes we get away from the cross. And it's been such a long time since we've been back. But if you stay near the cross, you know what happens to us? Is our our gratitude begins to deepen. Our gratitude begins to grow. There's a scripture in Luke chapter 7. And here's what it says. Jesus told a lady, it was another lady, actually he told a Pharisee about this woman because she was lavishing love on him and spent a lot of money to show her honor to him. And he told this Pharisee who didn't love him, Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. Now watch this, but to whom little is forgiven... The same loveth little. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. I remember when I was a young Christian, I would read that passage in Luke 7. And I would look at the Pharisee in my mind. I would say, well, I feel bad for the Pharisee. He can't ever ever love Jesus the way this woman did. And then as I began to grow in my understanding of the Word of God... And I began to learn about sin, that there are sins, bodily sins, and then there are sins of the Spirit. That this woman, that she just sinned differently than the Pharisee did. He had plenty of sins. And what Jesus was saying was not, not, you cannot love me. You have sinned differently, and you can love me too if you would just admit your sins. 
Because I too, I looked at that and I thought, well, Lord, I, I can't love you the way that other people can. But I could if I stood near the cross. And here's what Mary learned near the cross. That those forgiven much, love much. And listen, she learned that from the moment of her conversion, but she never got away from it. And she was there at the cross and she was there at the resurrection. Have you forgotten that? Have you forgotten how much you were forgiven? Well, that's why you don't love him as much. And then, let's look at John. John was there at the foot of the cross. I want you to notice the way he describes himself in John chapter 19 and verse 26. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved. Six times in the gospel of John, this is the way he describes himself. The disciple whom Jesus loved six times. John, if you read the book of First John, which he wrote, one of the themes there is his own light and its own love. Uh, we need to love one another. We need to love the Lord. John was the disciple of love. And he was on the inner circle. When you read the list of the twelve, of the twelve disciples, which became the twelve apostles, Peter is always first. Judas is always last. But the groupings are always the same, and sometimes they're, they're out of order. But the first person in the group is always the same. You have Peter, James, John, and Andrew. And then you have the next group. And then you have a third group. But the first person, it, it was a way of organization, perhaps, of, of developing leaders or whatever. But of that first group, there were three. Peter, James, and John that had certain privileges. It was like an inner circle. For example, when Jesus was transfigured in Matthew chapter 17, he only took three with him. Peter, James, and John, this John. When he, he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead, he went into the home and he only took three disciples with him, Peter, James, and John. When he went into Gethsemane the night before he was crucified to pray, he only took three disciples with him, Peter, James, and John. And, and these three disciples were an inner circle. And Peter, excuse me, John distinguished himself in the matter of love, the disciple whom Jesus loved. But do you know what happened the night that they, that they arrested Jesus? The Bible says in Matthew chapter 26 that all the disciples forsook him and they fled. All of them. Now, old Judas, he was cutting a deal to turn Jesus over. He was betraying him. We know what he was doing. But every one of them, they fled. We, re, we know what Peter was doing, but we don't know what the others were doing. But they had fled. They forsook the Lord. They were disloyal. 
But when he was crucified, one came back. Do you know who it was? It was John. Of the twelve, only one came back. And he wasn't at the periphery. He wasn't on the edge. He wasn't at the border. He came near the cross. He got up close. He was by the mother of Jesus. He was by the aunt of Jesus. He was by Mary Magdalene. And he stood near the cross. And we've been talking about these seven statements of Jesus before he died. And here's what I want you to see. Don't miss this. Please don't miss this. This is powerful. And what does Jesus do to John when he's near the cross? Does he rebuke him? Does he say, where have you been? Does he say, you've had weak faith? Does he say, well, I'm going to pray for you? No. He restores him with a commission. Look at verse 26. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Mama, I'm leaving. This, this is your son. John is your son. Then saith he to John, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, from that moment, that disciple took her, Jesus' mother, and became his mother. And he took her unto his own home. Listen, when you get to the cross, you realize God can still use me. It's not over. It's not over. Maybe some of you have been running and you've been hiding and, and the devil's been whispering in your ear. God can't use you anymore. Oh, when you get to the cross, you find out that there's not just hope, but there's grace and there's mercy. And there is a future beyond what you have ever imagined. Do you know what this John wrote? Let me show you the verse. I think they've given it to you. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John wrote that, the disciple whom Jesus loved. You say, well, Rick, you don't know what I've done. Well, I know what John did. He betrayed Jesus. He ran off. He left him. He was disloyal. But he came back. Maybe you need to come back. I've always loved music, and I don't mean just to play it, but just to listen to it, what it does for me, it helps me. Not only instructs me, but it it encourages me. And I remember in my, my high school days, I was away from the Lord. And, you know, it's a funny thing for me to say this, but I'm going to say it. Some of you will understand this. I still love the Lord. But I was away from the Lord. And 
I remember going into my room and I had an old eight track player. Some of you young people don't know what that was, but uh, you can Google it later. And I had a group uh, of music on that, that I love their music. And I put it in and I laid down on my bed. I can still remember how that, where, where that bed was on 612 Marguerite Drive. And I just remember this moment because I went to, went to the foot of the cross. And a song came on. It was the first song I ever played publicly in church. When Price Harris came to our church and they said, Would you play for Price Harris for the invitation? Our piano player is gone. I said, Well, I don't want to. They said, Well, we need you. And I played it for him. And uh, they sang this song. And I'm going to read two verses to you. And God broke my heart. And I began to weep. Listening. And here are the lyrics. When discouraged and depressed, God loves you. And remember in the test, God loves you. When it seems all hope is gone and you feel so all alone, look above, behold the dawn, God loves you. And then they got to the last verse and, and I, boy, my heart raced to the Lord, raced back to the Lord. Though you now, though you now are far away, God loves you. Don't go on another day, God loves you. Though rebellious you have been, put away your life of sin. He'll forgive and take you in. God loves you. And I kept hearing that refrain, God loves you, Rick. God loves you. God loves you. You may be far away, but he loves you. Your heart may be rebellious at times, but God loves you. But you only hear those, those words from the cross. And some of you haven't heard that. Some of you haven't heard that in a long time. And you've been running away from God because you think it's over. And I thought about this verse. My heart got so blessed. Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. The Bible says, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering? Paul's talking to Roman Christians. Don't despise how rich he is in his goodness and his forbearance and his patience and his long-suffering. Don't you know that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? And I studied a word I've never studied in Romans 2, 4. It just grabbed me. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 18 that in the middle of the tribulation period that people are going to arrest Christians and they're going to bring them to court. How do you think they're going to bring them? Man, they're not going to say, may I take you to court? Buddy, they're going to lead them by, they're going to force them. They're going to require them. You're coming with me. And the word brought in Matthew 18, you're coming with me, buddy, is the same word that the goodness of God leadeth, leadeth thee. It means to induce, to bring, 
to drive. Preacher, I'm just, I don't have a repentant heart. Well, you get to the cross. Get to the cross. You will have no alternative. Because if you're born again, you will be driven. His goodness, His mercy will drive you to repentance. And I'm going to give you this. I'm finished. You know what John learned at the cross that day? He learned that Jesus restores us at the cross. Jesus restores us at the cross. I wonder today as we close, is there somebody here who you've become callous, you've lost your appreciation for for who Christ is and what he's done for you? Mary never did. She never got away from the cross. She just kept coming back. I want to say this kindly and sincerely, but I say it very seriously. Some of you don't, you listen to so much other types of music. If you just listen to some some good Christian music, man, it would change your whole heart. Listen to some music about the cross, about the goodness of God, about the faithfulness of God. It will reorient your spirit. It will reorient your heart. You think we can sing two or three songs in here? And it's going to counter what happens 20, 30, 40 hours a week. It's not going to happen. Mary never got away from it. She stayed close to the cross. And then literally... At the cross and as a resurrection, she was there. And then maybe some of you need to be restored. You've been living in guilt and shame because of something that's happened. Well, so did John. But John came back and Jesus, Jesus had something for him. He said, I got a task for you. But it's not cleaning the bathrooms at church. I want you to take care of my mother. Lord, I don't deserve it. It doesn't matter. I got a big job for you because I love you and I trust you. I you to bow your heads with me if you would. I you to stand quietly. I've asked him to sing a few verses of a song. He's going to come and sing. Maybe some of you need to just come to an altar just like I did on July the 22nd, 1975.